Con rubillos en el arco, la defensa es colosal González ahorrando la torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección Welcome back to the Proving Walls podcast I'm your host Brian Birdie joining you from Lima, Peru as always And I'm joined by Christopher Mascaro who's finally back at his home How are you Christopher? I am just happy to be home. I did not like getting stuck somewhere in Chicago for a night. Home sweet home. Home sweet home. But you're in a different part of your room, so it made me think you were in a different location. Only a matter, <laughs> only, matter only, only a matter of time till we see you in Jupiter, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm planning that for next week. Oh, my bad. I, 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 I actually had the volume up for a second. I don't know if you heard that, but I turned it down, so no worries. And I... As always, I'm here with uh, Peter Galindo joining us from Toronto, Canada. How are you, Peter? I am well, Brian. Thank you. Um, it is still cold. It's April. I hate this. I really yeah. wish I was somewhere warm right now because this is ridiculous. Wow. You don't want to come to Peru because it's not very warm here either at the moment. The winter never ended. Let me put it that way. The winter still never ended. Still warmer than, than, than here. Yeah, no, for sure. I, for sure. Nice I think match scarf to keep me warm. Oh, nice one. There it is. Well, <laughs> to, to be sorry, fair, I had to show that off. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, Peter, if you want to, if you want a warm place that I think that could be a good vacation place, if you want to avoid the cold, go to Nunavut. I think it's a good place. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. You, you might be on <laughs> something. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, let's let's get on. Let's get on to business. Um, so first, we're going to talk about uh, Peruvians abroad. This is kind of something we kind of shoehorned in last minute because I realized there are two players we need to talk about. First of all, Miguel Trauco, who is not getting the game time that Flamengo that he wants because he's been frozen out by Paolo Cesar Carpegiani, who has now been sacked. Now, here's the question. Flamengo, we're really not doing that badly. Uh, do you, some people, there are some rumors. There are some rumors, and this is, just a th- this is just theories. This is nothing coming from the club at all, that he's been sacked because of his... Uh, is favoritism to local players almost to the point that it's too much that he's not playing the the players that he should be playing uh Cuellar, Marlos, Trauco, who are on contracts making money and they're not getting game time do you think that might be the reason he got sacked instead of poor results Peter I'll go to you first I mean it's certainly one of the factors I'm sure because you saw that fans whenever you know they were talking about Flamengo on Twitter or wherever Um, and also mentioned in in Global as well, the fans were not happy at the fact that some of these international players, or shall I say foreign players, weren't getting any minutes. Um, And it was made worse by the fact that the players that were getting minutes over them were really not all that good, and not not even like that much better. Like We're talking a a massive gap in quality. Um, So that was certainly a factor. But look, they also fired their sporting director. They, They really cleaned house. Um, so clearly just how things, I think internally there were probably, you know, differences between the board and obviously the coach and the directors and everybody else involved. Um, that probably was a factor. And I mean, when they're playing in Copa Libertadores and after last year's underachievement and just the general underachievement of that club over so many years, um, they probably figured, like, listen, we need to give ourselves the best possible chance because if we slip up in the Libertadores again at the group stage, this could be absolutely disastrous. No, I agree. And you also got to consider the money that the players are on. I mean, 
I'm pretty sure the board's going to lose patience if you're paying all these players and the manager isn't going to even play them. I mean, they brought they brought Marlos Moreno, I think, for quite a bit of money. I, I believe he's on loan at the moment for Manchester City. And they brought him for quite a bit of money. And if I'm correct, he's played one or two games so far. I mean, state leagues or not, that is unacceptable. He's all, they're all money. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you got to make use of them. It's like, I, I can't think of a good example right now, but it's like buying something really good or something really, I can't think of an example, but it's like buying something for lots of money and then never using it. Like, yeah. what, what's the point? Unless you're collecting, what would be the point of that? Uh, Christopher, what do you think on this whole matter? What, what do you think on uh, Trauco and uh, Carpegiani and his relationship with the foreigners? Well, I, I, I think that, I mean, you were just looking for an example of that. And uh, a perfect example would be Paolo Guerrero last season when the, there was a few points there where he wasn't playing his best. He wasn't doing as well as he was doing uh, for example, with the Peru national team at the time. And the fans really came down on him because at one point he was the best uh, paid player in South America. They were paying a lot of money for him and he, wa and he wasn't really performing his best. So it makes sense that if they would do that just on a like because of a player, that they would do that to a coach that is benching not one player, but a, a lot of different players, including our very own Trauco. So... Uh, I mean, like I haven't seen anything about them announcing a new manager, but hopefully the next person that comes will realize uh, who Trauco is and what he's capable of, especially after these two friends, the friendlies that he just had with the, with the national team. And hopefully he will get a few more, few more minutes. But other than that, I mean, I just, I just kind of figure I'd reinforce uh, your point. You also got to think that this is a bizarre appointment for Flamengo. I mean, I haven't checked how old he. Is, but he's definitely over 70 years Bianchi back. It, that's just, it just doesn't work. Carpegiani won the Club World Cup with Flamengo. Yeah, but that was 35 years ago. So why why would you bring him back? I mean, he was the Paraguay manager of 1998 World Cup. I mean, he. I feel like he went and treated it as retirement, but you can't do that Flamengo. So, no. like, if you – if you, the fact that he got sacked is for many reasons. And there's also rumors that his management style isn't really the most comfortable – that he does it from the stands, he uses a walkie-talkie, something like that. So it's um, it, it really is. It really isn't the. It really wasn't the most. It was a bizarre appointment. I put it that way, because like I said, he was the Flamengo manager 35 years ago, and yeah, it. I think my example of Carlos Bianchi getting appointed for Boca uh, once again, even though he was sacked last time, I think that was a fair example personally. Uh, does anyone else want to jump in here to say something? Yeah, one thing I will say that the heavy favorite to replace him, or at least the candidate that will that that Flamengo want to hire, is actually Renato Gaucho, who won, of course, the Copa Libertadores with Remio last season. So that is their number one target at the moment. If that happens, I think that would be a pretty decent appointment. Um, certainly for Trauco, because I mean, let's be honest, he's a quality left back. We spoke about it le or last week, excuse me that he probably is, outside of the Brazilian fullbacks, the best non-Brazilian fullback in South America. And the fact that Flamengo probably can sell him at this summer, at least after the World Cup, for tens of millions of dollars, um, you have to assume they want to put him in the shop window a little bit and play him and get him up to speed. Um, 
and and I think Renato Gaucho is a is a coach who will realize that because I mean look at the squad he had at Gremio it, it, it was loaded with talent and and not just Brazilian talent but international talent of, of the some of the highest caliber so that's one area the other area I will address this Brian I I checked uh, Paulo Cesar Carpegiani's age he's 69 years old so you were almost there almost there almost there but anyways um I do think Renato Gaucho is a good appointment for Trauco as well. Uh, from what I've seen of Rene, he's more of a dynamic and phys- physical fullback, whereas Trauco is more possession-based. And Renato Gaucho's Grêmio team is very possession-based, almost reminiscent of Spain 2010, actually. So it's um, I think that will fit Trauco. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much they're going to put the long balls in, but I think a possession game does fit him. Uh, that's the kind of game he plays for Peru as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying Grêmio and Peru are similar playing styles. They're actually very, very different, but... Uh, they're both possession-based, so I think it could work. Christopher, do you, how do you? I, I'll, I'll let you follow up on this point. How do how do you think a possession-based game like Spain in 2010 will work for a player like Miguel Trauco? Mm. You want to rephrase that question? <laughs> that sure. Sure. So how do how do you think a possession-based game is going to work for Trauco? You, you see him playing possession-based game for Peru, but now uh, Gremio plays. They can play either a very dynamic possession game like Peru or a very slow possession game like Spain in 2010. How do you think? Of, how do you think that will work for work out for Trauco? I think it will be well for him. I mean, obviously he's shown what he's capable of, uh, and I think Peru's a lot like in the national team, for example. Peru's a lot more comfortable when they have the ball, and you know it's it's all about that whole Peruvian style, that Peruvian waltz that we have developed. And I think that he is uh, he's he's an example of that. I'm not only is he good at defense, but he he's also creative um, when it comes to to attack. And so therefore, uh, that kind of style is really going to show him off. I, I think it's I think it's a step in the in the right direction uh, for a coach to to try to to do that. Uh, and I think that Trauco would be an important piece of, of a, such a team. Now, here's the last question. I'll go back to you, to this, Christopher. Would you think a coach like Renato Gaucho, who is at Gremio, the Copa Libertadores champions, would move to Flamengo for large sums of money and for a big club like with a big fan base over a club that is continental champions and probably, uh, probably uh, one of the contenders to win it again this year, as well as the Brazilian League? Do you think he would take that? I guess you could say step down. Uh, some people might disagree with me there, but I guess you could take that step down. Say, say that step down to manage a club like Flamengo that's that's uh, as big as and rich as they are. No, it's never it's never a step down because uh, for, for me there's no such thing as bad publicity, basically. And being at a big club with history, it doesn't it doesn't even matter if the club's not really doing that well, which is not Flamengo's case in the in the right now, right? I mean they they made it pretty far into their state tournament, and I'm sure they'll have a decent. Uh, Brazilian championship, but just just because of the name, that that really brings uh, that really brings fame to yourself. That brings uh, something to to that coach. So to me, that's that's never really a step down. Uh, and obviously, it will be his job to if he you know if if right now we think that it's a mediocre team or if it's it could be doing better, it will be his job to make it great again per se. But no, I, there's a few teams I think that have that name recognition that history behind them, Flamengo being one of them. Uh, you can argue Sao Paulo, Corinthians, Boca, 
you know, uh, River Plate and so forth and so forth, Palmeiras in South America, that that it's for you coaching one of those teams, it's always going to be a positive thing. He's also a former player of Flamengo, which is I, I do I, I do want to bring up though that and I just checked this right now that Renato Gaucho is actually from the south of Brazil, which is we're near Porto Alegre. So you gotta have to consider that game if he feels closer to home. He's from I think Rio Capo do Sul. So I think it's something like that, but it's Rio Grande do Sul. Yeah, he is he is he's from the south. He's from the south of Brazil and he is he's basically he, he's from the south of Brazil and he, he, Porto Alegre is also in the south. I, I'm not sure if it's a suburb of Porto Alegre. I haven't really checked, but they're both they're both near each other. That's my point. And I think that that is uh, another factor we have to consider. What do you consider moving to Rio de Janeiro where you prefer to stay at home? Or you would assume most of his family is around there. So uh, I think I think it's another thing we have to consider in this. Uh, I think Renato Gaucho could definitely uh, fit in. Uh, I think he definitely helped Trauco's game anyways. And yeah, if, if you guys have anything else to say, let me know. If not, we can move on. Do you guys have anything else? No, go ahead. Unless Chris has something. Okay. Now we can talk about the other foreign player or the other Peruvian abroad, rather. And that's someone that you, or you probably didn't expect us to talk about uh, pre pod, but we're talking about Alexander Sukar, who is an FCC on. Don't think he played more than one game so far. He's alone and he's not done anything. He's not played a game, a, a game in a relegation threatened Swiss side. That is not a good sign. Now, luckily, he's only alone. But, I mean, Cristal have a striker, what, a very similar striker that's probably better than Sucar at the moment, and Manuel Herrera. If he is to come back to Peru, do you see him playing for Cristal or another club? Or maybe an international club? I don't know. Uh, Christopher, what do you think? If you see Sucar playing for another club, in Peru, what would it be? Do you think it will be a club like? Do you think if you play for Cristal, who they already have a striker, or do you think you'll go to a club that needs a striker but have money like Lasso? No, no, I totally see him going to a different club. I think, I think the problem was that he he was a little too desperate to go out there and try try himself at the international soccer, and it, it almost feels like he just took the first opportunity that came when maybe doing the same thing that other Peruvians have done have done in the past would have, or did this season would have been a, a better idea trying to go to Mexico trying to go to Argentina I can I can kind of see him doing that actually to be honest uh, because I'm trying to think really I mean I guess Real Garcilaso I, I don't know if there's other teams in Peru that are in real like desperate need of a forward right now uh, obviously Sporting Cristal is is the favorite to win the Torneo de Verano at this point, and I don't think that there's much that they're going to be moving from their main squad just to make room for him, especially when he was the one that was desperate to go somewhere else. Uh, so, uh, no, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts getting offers from maybe somewhere in Mexico, maybe somewhere in the in, in MLS. Uh, I mean, I, I'm thinking also like Ecuador could be a, like a good market for someone like Alexander Sucar. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think about that. I think that Argentina will be very suitable to his game because he's a very he's he's a very Peruvian like nine, very physical. He has he's quite strong actually. He's uh, the strongest player in the world, but he's quite strong. And I think that could help him in uh, in a league like Argentina. Now the thing is, get him getting playing time because if he can't get in Switzerland, who knows if he's going to get one in Argentina? Peter, what do you think on all this? I think he would probably prefer to keep playing abroad just because I mean he pushed so hard to go to Switzerland to get that loan move. 
Um, yes, it hasn't worked out for him. He only has had two games. And it's really curious because when he got there for their winter camp or, you know, obviously when clubs in Switzerland or in Scandinavia and whatnot, they break for the winter because obviously tons of snow, you can't play. It's ridiculously cold. Um, he showed him, you know, very, very positive performances uh, and gave a good account of himself when he was there. So I thought at the very least he would be an impact substitute, uh, if not pushing for a starting spot. But the thing is, is that Sion, because they're battling relegation, they just kind of loaded up on, on forwards and they've been really lacking goal scoring. They brought in a lot of experience. Um, they have Robert Aquafresco, who's like a Syria veteran uh, at this point. Uh, Yombe Mboyo, who is pretty experienced in Europe based on his resume, um, about 30 years old or something like that. So they're probably wanting to give more playing time to players of that caliber, as opposed to someone who maybe be a bit more of a project. Um, but with that in mind, I think Sukar definitely has the the mold of that sort of commending number nine, as well as just the talent to be able to play outside of Peru. But I think he should go or at least try to get somewhere else in South America, because I feel like if he were to go back to Peru, his performances might plateau again, much like what we saw after he was called up. Uh, what would it be last June for those two friendlies against Paraguay and Jamaica? Uh, after he got back from the national team, his performances just really, really declined after that. So it might be positive for him to go outside of, of the country. Yeah, no, I agree. It could be anywhere. I don't know whatever happened to that Pumas uh, agreement. I mean, that was that was also not curious. Although uh, Pumas, he would not go on playing time either. They have, I believe, two strikers at the moment that are probably better than Sukar. So it's um, it, it's a curious one, but he's got to really win his place. He's got to win respect. And he's not done that yet, apparently. Not, I mean, he's not got much of a chance in Switzerland, but, I mean, what what, what are you going to say? It's, I mean, what's happened's happened, and he's just not done. He's just not done enough. And I really feel like, like Christopher said, maybe he took a decision too, shoot, too soon. Maybe he was way too rash in uh, what, he, what he did. So if you guys have anything else, if you guys want to jump in, I guess we can move on to the Libertadores. No? Okay. So... We're going to talk about Alianza Lima first. I mean, that was the second match uh, of the day, but we're going to talk about them first because there's really not a whole lot to say here. I mean, we all expected them to lose. We all expected them to lose like 2-0, two, 1-0, two 3-0, so around there. And we all expected it to be very straightforward for Palmeiras. So what do you what do you guys reckon on this match? I have a few comments myself. Peter, what, what do you reckon on the match firstly? Well, in general, I think Palmeiras, at least in the first half, should have been up by more than just the solo goal. Um, I mean, Lucas Lima and Keno and pretty much just that entire attack were just running circles around the Alianza defense. And Miguel Borja should have had a hat trick in that game, but he kept missing some really quality chances. Kudos to him for getting in the right positions, but no finish. Um, Sounds like a typical Miguel Borja. Exactly. Um and it's actually funny, too, because a, a scout contacted me out of that game asking, what do you think of his performance? And I'm like, well, it was a classic Miguel Borja performance. He did everything right except for the finish, which is kind of important for strikers. But I digress. Um, for Alianza, this was – it was sort of a performance that you maybe expected. Maybe not so much – you didn't expect maybe as sloppy of a game from them um, or as nervous of a game as they had because everybody from front to back were just – full of nerves and you could totally see it. Um, they, they would almost like just stop in, in, in shock and fear whenever any Palmeiras player was running at them. Um, 
the only player for me out of the starters, at least, who maybe deserved some sort of praise was probably uh, Rinaldo Cruzado. I thought he had a pretty decent game. And I thought uh, Holberg and Quevedo were pretty decent coming off the bench as well. Um, gave them a little bit of a spark, which I think they were lacking, and I think that might have helped them. Uh, but they created a couple chances. They just couldn't really finish them, and they made some very, very mindless decisions in the final third whenever they did actually manage to get forward, which I don't think really helped matters. They kind of got to realize that, okay, listen, we've got nothing to lose. We're expected to be defeated here. You know, let's just play loose and and, and not worry too much about this because in, in all honesty, no one at all expected them to get to the next stage, even to get, you know, third place and get to the Sudamericana. So, I mean, the fact that they're still playing like, you know, this is like like a pivotal, you know, semifinal or final is, is strange to me. It just doesn't the, – the thing, the thing that really frustrated me was Palmeiras were committing a few errors at the back. They were committing a few errors with trying to get out, trying to play out from the back. And Alianza took, took advantage of that. But the problem was, they, like you said, they made some minus decisions. I mean, every time they had – there was a – clear open space where there's one winger who was really open and they, they chose to shoot from outside the box rather than pass the open player. That could have been a goal. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, it makes some team chemistry, uh, it makes team chemistry just seem like pointless because it doesn't look like it's there. And another thing I want to say, Bingo Chia, I mean, he won the league last year. He did it well. He was effective. Is he really all that? Because Really, I'm seeing some really questionable decisions from him because, for example, firstly, you got to stop playing youth midfielders in fullback. It doesn't work. Cotrina has actually been all right in fullback since he started, but the, the rest, they haven't worked. Klaus, Marina, and uh, Garro, those aren't fullbacks, and they're playing in fullback. They've been playing in fullback for a while. doesn't make any sense. And it's not only that, but some of the players they brought in just doesn't make sense. They've tried to replace Aguiada, and they brought in a, a load of midfielders to desperately try to replace him. And the three midfielders are playing nothing like Aguiada. So that, that's not worth for them either. And don't even start me with the, the number, lack of the number nine. You, the best player is Posito, and I'm not saying this just for Christopher, but I, the, the best number nine is Posito, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. They keep, they keep playing Leyes. And Posito, I mean, you could argue he's not the level of a team like Alianza or Municipal, but he's the best, he's the best, the best striker, though. The best striker they have. So why don't you play him? Why do you play the others? I mean, some really questionable decisions from Mikochea. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I can see Alianza going out of the group scoring the minimum amount of goals possible. And I just don't I'm not optimistic for this. I can see them maybe getting a draw or winning at the junior at home, but that's it. I can't see them doing anything else. Christopher, what do you think on the the Alianza matters as well as the of the match? Well, yeah, I mean but let's let's remember that Alianza's uh, goalkeeper had a pretty decent night too. I think, I think uh, unfortunately, you know, when when your goalkeeper is the man of the man of the match for your side, and there's obviously obviously something something is deeply wrong. I feel like Bengochea is kind of reminding me of uh, Sergio Marcarian a little bit. There's certain that's that there's that certain like being scared of something, you know, like the very good one honesty, style. In, in all honesty, like, Alianza Lima hasn't received that many goals, you know? Like, but the problem is that they, like, 
I, I, I was uh, listening to a statistic today. He's so far, Bingo Che has played four international matches with Alianza, hasn't scored a single goal. Right? They've only scored, they scored three goals on him, only three goals in four matches. That's not too bad. But he hasn't scored a single goal. So therefore, how does he expect to get out of that group if he's, he doesn't put his best people uh, uh, up front? Yeah, I mean, Posito, my man Posito, should have been playing that game. But at the same time, why didn't Jover or Quevedo or both uh, just just go from the get-go? Why did he wait till, till what, like minute, like 60 to, to put him in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, we were kind of thinking the same thing against uh, when they played uh, Boca Juniors uh, just a few weeks ago. It's it's kind of like uh, I really don't know what he's doing, what he's doing there or what his logic uh, behind those moves are. But uh, other than that, I mean, yeah, it was it was kind of a miracle that Alianza didn't didn't get destroyed. Um, Gabriel Leyes had a horrible game to me. Uh, so did Velarde uh, probably. Uh, Cotrina, like you were saying, young guy just got destroyed. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think yeah, like like I said from the beginning, I think Alianza Lima's goal at this point is just to. Try to get fight for that third slot, if anything, and, and not be afraid, uh, like Peter said or like you guys said, to to try new things. I do want to follow up on one thing that Christopher actually just said, which I think is very interesting, and it kind of speaks to what I said earlier as well. Like we saw it against Boca a little bit. I know that he flubbed that chance late in the game that probably should have won them that match. But when Hobart was playing in the match against Boca, they had a clear outlet for counterattacks. It's, it's totally fine if Bengochea wants to sit deep and absorb the pressure and restrict as much space as possible. But if you don't have a, a proper outlet for counterattacks or you don't have that composed midfielder on the ball, um, don't even get me started on Carlos Asquez whenever he tries to, to play football. It's, it's mind-blowing. I completely regret putting him in my 35-man preliminary squad. I want to revoke that immediately. <laughs> Um, he, I, he reminded me why I did not rate him initially. I thought, oh, he's changed. No, he totally hasn't. Um, and the fact that he keeps playing in an, in an advanced role is insane to me. Like that's like putting me in the number 10 role or as a number eight, it just doesn't work. Um, pretty sure Brian and Christopher could also do better job than Carlos Asquist in that position. Um, anyway, I'm, I can't. I'm the worst football in the world. Oh, don't. So is Carlos Asquist. Trust me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go throw in my. I'm gonna change jerseys right now. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, like that. It doesn't make sense to me that you know Bengoche doesn't put in a player like a Quevedo or a Holberg or both in a match like that where you need someone to create or at the very least run at the opposing defense. Paul, no, no, sorry. Asquez is a proving Pogba. I'll put it that way. He's just so moving. <laughs> It's over me. Okay, it's yeah. Over me. Not why, yes. Okay. I was about to say, are you sure? He doesn't he doesn't he gets so much hype and gets everything wrong. It's it's kinda like it, I mentioned this on Twitter in the I mentioned this on Twitter, the Sevilla and Bayern Munich match. Kinda like the whole Insanci and Pogba debate. But you have Pogba who is a hundred million and plays for Manchester United, you know he's gonna start for France. But we know that we also know that Insanci should be the one that's starting for France. And it's not going to happen. That's the same thing I see with Asquez. Asquez, everyone, I mean, we know that he's not going to start for Peru. So that's that's it kind of in a vice versa type of way. But we also we also know that he's deeply overrated and that some people think he should be in the national team. 
when he clearly doesn't have the level to be at it. I mean, first of all, he doesn't have an identifiable and then identifiable position. He's playing everywhere these days. I mean, it's not even it's not even total football. Like it's just stupid. It's he plays <laughs> he plays as a nine or as a ten or as an eight. It like what does he even play? Like what does he even play? I I don't know. I, I don't know what he plays. I don't know what you guys yeah, think. I don't, I don't even attempt to to figure out where he's playing now. Like one moment he's he's playing in in the holding position. The next game he's put on is like an attacking threat, which is like what you know. Um, yeah, it's 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 in, incredible to me, and and maybe that's partially Bengal Jaya's fault because he doesn't necessarily know where to fit him in, and maybe he's pressured to start him all the time, but maybe doesn't necessarily want to because if he puts him deep, then Tomas Cosa doesn't really have a role, right? If he puts him a little more advanced, then you know, one of, you know, two or three players might get pushed out. So he maybe he has a bit of a dilemma in that regard, but really, I, I mean, it's not much of a dilemma on the surface and that he just shouldn't be playing in an advanced role. He should be a center back or he should be at the very most, just a, a holding midfielder in the mold of Felipe Melo, who just sits there and acts as a destroyer. Uh, and that, and that is the maximum. I honestly think that Carlos Asu should go back to what he was originally at. I mean, I don't know what he was when he first started. I'll be honest, I didn't really follow him when he first came out. But when he was first called out of Engochen, the Peruvian national team, he played as a roaming playmaker. And I thought he did very well there. Now, what what does he do now? Like, is he burnt out? Does any position work for him? So center back, he's just going to play it out every single time. And we all know he doesn't have the ability to do that anymore because he does everything wrong these days. So what is... I, I don't know. This is a debate for another time, I think. But this is really – it's mind-boggling. And, yeah, I don't know why anyone would think that he should be in the national team because he clearly doesn't have the level. And he's not doing every – I mean, he does have the level, but he's not – does not have an identifiable position. He isn't filled with confidence. And, I mean, it, it's frustrating because he has, he has the level. He could be the best player in the division if he wanted to. He's not. He's not even close. So, it – it really speaks for how much effort it's putting in. It reminds me a lot of Paul Pogba. It really does. It doesn't. I'm not talking about him doing dabs. I'm not talking about him doing dabs and painting his hair different colors. That'd be really yes. But really yes, actually a player. It's the only difference. <laughs> Boom. Boom okay. Now we can talk about Regar Silasa versus Nacional. Another disappointing match, but I guess I'll start with this for myself. Garcilaso were disappointing on the night. Uh, they. I'm not having that they couldn't break down Nacional because they clearly did. They just missed a lot of chances and they were extremely wasteful. So I'm not having that. Nacional. I'm not giving any credit to Nacional. I thought they were pretty poor as well. I thought they were actually good on the counter and that's that. I thought they were poor otherwise. But Garcia, so you need to take advantage of that match and they needed to win and they need, well, I'm not going to say they need to win yet, but they, 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 they could lose and they also needed to make sure that um, they scored those goals and they did not. I mean, I know that that's very Michael Owen-ish, the what I'm saying right now, but they needed they needed to they need to score the goals that they that they wasted. It's that simple. I know that sounds very obvious, but I mean, it, there's no other way to put it. Uh, Nacional also made the same mistake as Santos that they got to Cusco the day the day or the day of the match. It was there before the day. Uh, they were in Lima today. Luis Aguirre got an ovation for the Alianza fans, deservedly so, but. It was it was a disappointing match, but I don't think the draw is the worst thing that can happen for Garcia Lasso because with the winning against Estudiantes, which you'd still assume they will get because of the altitude, even despite this match, they're probably going to go through a third. 
because Nacional are sitting at two points at the moment, and I can't see them getting a win. They could get a win actually in this, in Argentina, but against at home against Santos, I can't see them winning because the the thing I was going to mention about Garcia Lasso is that their best chance at a point is in Uruguay. It's not that I think Nacional are a poor side; it's just that I think they're poor at home, which is different because at home in the last two years, and this includes this year, they've not been very good. And they're not very good at scoring goals either. They're they're very much an effective Uruguayan team, kind of like Alianza Lima. So it's um a style is very similar, and I don't think that a draw is the worst thing that could have happened for Brazil. So I think that if they lost, that was that because they were the Nacional would have leapfrogged them in the table. And I don't think third would have been a possibility. Because I mean, we're gonna assume they're gonna lose in Brazil. Let's let's just assume that. But in Uruguay, I'm I'm hoping that they can get at least a point. What do you think, Christopher? Well, I think regardless of the lack of goals, I think it was a pretty exciting game. And it was just like, I think for all of us, it was like, when is Garcia going to score? When are they going to score? Like, they were so close. And at the same time, also, Nacional had a few chances. Uh, Nacional came to Cusco very defensively, very much scared. Uh, and at the same time, Garcia also felt a little bit hesitant, at least in the first half. It was like, they too were scared, even though they were the ones at, at home. Uh, so uh, those those two things kind of balanced the, the, each other out, where it wasn't like someone was playing too defensively and the other ones was, you know, like didn't have any opportunities. It's like both teams really, really had a. I, I don't know. I think I, at least I enjoyed the game. I think I think it was a pretty game. I think it was cool. It was nice to kind of see both sides go back and forth. But other than that, I I don't know. To me. I would agree with you in that, like, uh, no, the one point isn't enough. I mean, it's good. It's better than zero, right? But this is not Alianza Lima Boca Juniors, right? Like, this is Real Garcilaso at home in Cusco against uh, Nacional. Uh, a Nacional side, like the, like you just said, is, is not that great. Uh, and, and and it's unfortunate. I think this was a really a really good chance for them to, to get ahead and, you know, winning that game would have meant that they probably could have moved on to the next stage, but I, I honestly don't see him doing it anymore. Uh, unless, you know, unless a few things happen that are not so much in their control per se, but uh, well, other than that, I think, uh, what's his face? Landauri had, had a pretty bad game, but you know, Ramul had a pretty good game. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of my, my highlights for that. And I also want to mention that, I mentioned this earlier, but the, uh, the Garcilaso are probably going to have to get a go on Uruguay. And then I mentioned that they're probably going to be their current rivals against Nacional if they want to get through to the next round. I think that uh, third place would satisfy me better than the last two Peruvian teams. I mean, in two games, in three games, Garcilaso have done better than all the Peruvians has combined last year. So I guess I guess this is something we're going to be excited about. But uh, again, uh, I'm just trying to think as positively as possible. I mean... I don't think the draw is the worst thing that could have happened, like I said. But uh, I, like Christopher also mentioned, I expect so much more. Uh, Peter, uh, why don't you, why don't you give your opinion now on all this? Well, I agree with Christopher in that I think that not winning the game rules them out potentially for actually getting to the next round of the Libertadores, which could have actually been possible had they had six points after three games with. Still a Sudiantes to come with the chance to grab points in Uruguay. Um, very easily could have ended up with 10 points or so, which obviously could have been enough to get through. But 
if you're looking at the preseason expectations, which I will agree with you on this, Brian, um, the draw isn't the worst thing because they still don't lose any ground to Nacional. They still have opportunities to pick up points. Um, but just the way that they played was disappointing, I think. Yeah, um, I totally you know, agree. Th- like, like that to me, what, what was the most disappointing aspect of it all? If they played well and drew, okay, fair enough. You gave it your all. Yeah, you're, you had the altitude advantage, but, you know, regardless, it still would have been fine. Um, I know you tweeted this, Brian, and I will back you up on this because I am a massive fan of him. Um, they missed Gustavo Dulanto a lot in that defense. It was a bit of a mess. Uh, Nacional had a couple of very good chances. If it wasn't for a couple of lucky misses and or hitting the post, they probably would have ended up getting their goal and their eventual win. Um, I mean, Juan Lojas is, is not good at all, especially when you compare him to Dulanto, um, who should actually be back this weekend. I know he was on the bench, but I'm sure they didn't want to risk him completely because yeah. knee injuries are a bit complicated. Um, but the other... The, the final thing I wanted to point out on this, which, again, you touched on, um, when Garcilaso got into the final third, whether it was Landauri or Vidales or Ramua, whenever there would be time on the ball and they could just keep it and circulate it around and really tire out the Nacional defense and their midfield, they just shoot it long aimlessly. And that, to me, was a mistake because, look, the longer you hold on to the ball – right? The more tired they get and the more focused they have to be, there's eventually going to be a lapse in concentration. And that is where the chance comes. Um, and I thought that Ramua, as active as he was, tried to force too many passes. Um, yeah. And that was very disappointing to see because he is obviously a quality player, maybe not his best game, um, but overall, you know, d- d- just disappointing all around, really. Yeah, no. For me, the best player in the match was Johnny Vidalis, who I thought was the only one that was looking lively in the fact. The only one that was looking unpredictable. He missed a few sitters as well. There's one particular where he hit the ball, like I think it was like that, and it, it was a really terrible technique. But he could have gone. He did want to beat the offside trap, and he could have gone. He could have gone his goal, but his te- his heading technique was just abysmal. So it's it was. I also thought that the defense was poor. Uh, they most they missed Gustavo Lanto. It was really un, it was really unstable defense, and yeah, no. Uh, there, there's to my next question on this, and we're gonna avoid Tavares Tavara Silva talk Tavares Silva talk for this time because I mean it's only his like I think his second first match. I mean it's unfair it's unfair to judge him now based on his performance. Uh, it's not a good start, but this is a completely different Garcia side to what he had last time. Uh, I think Ramoa side actually I don't even remember he had Ramoa on that team. I'm not sure if he has it. Already, but no, what I was saying was, um, we're gonna talk about a different match actually, non related to the players like Arcilaso or this match, but is related to the group. Estudiantes versus Santos is the next game of the match. Santos is at three points at the moment, Estudiantes are at four. Who would you rather win in this match? Who, what do you think would be, would be better for Real Garcilaso? Would you prefer them to stay in second for another match day? And uh, have a Estudiantes win, or would you prefer to Santos to win and then have a Estudiantes as a direct comp- competitor for when they come in Cusco? Peter, I'll go to you first. Well, I think the latter, because any chance you have of still getting second and advancing, the better. Um, I think it's a bit of a defeatist attitude to say, well, okay, you know, let's just toss, you know, l- l- let's hope that Estudiantes, well, or sorry, I guess let's hope Santos win because if Santos wins, then you are leapfrogged and you're suddenly two points back, which puts the pressure on you to get those results. 
Whereas if the opposite happens, I mean, look, Garcia Lasso is not getting first. Let's be perfectly honest, at least not now. Um, I say you concede it and you give yourself a decent chance to not only maybe get third, but also finish runner-up. And Christopher, how are you? Well, I, I think I would agree. I think the fact that they already played Santos and that they already beat Santos, uh, it, it would be more beneficial for Estudiantes to win the next game. Uh, so therefore, their their game against Estudiantes at home will, will probably be, or hopefully be a more relaxed, not so defensively packed down Argentine uh, side that they would have to face. And so I think that would... You know, Estudiantes kind of having, a, a you know, a, what, seven points if they win will kind of make them feel like, you know, we're, we're basically there. So, therefore, by the time that they get to Cusco, Real Garcilaso will probably have a better match. Uh, and I think that scenario could, I would agree with Peter, they, they could probably finish runner-up if something like that was to happen. But if Santos if Santos wins, then, yeah, the, Real Garcilaso gets leapfrogged and then, yeah, after that, I, I it would be really a, a tough fight against Estudiantes once Estudiantes gets to Cusco. And if I'm correct, Estudiantes is the last match for Garcia. So, uh, Peter, if you can check really quickly while I'm talking, I guess that will that would be nice. But it is one of the it is one of the last matches because uh, I, I believe Nacional is the next match again in Uruguay. If I'm correct, and that, that's going to be another key match. Garcia Lasso can get a point there, then they're in good grounds. But like you guys mentioned, I think it would have been better for Garcia to win yesterday. So, so, that's um, so their schedule in like from match day four to match day six, they go to Nacional, then they host Estudiantes, and then they go to Santos on the okay. final day. So they, they, they've got to really take advantage of the next two matches then. That's yeah. this is all the way around it. Yeah. Santos, I can't see anything from Santos. They shouldn't expect to get anything from Santos. I mean, they can believe in themselves. They're going to try but they shouldn't expect to rely on it. That's my point. Because they're probably going to lose that, in all fairness. So, yeah, I guess we can move on now to the questions. Peter, can you get up the only question we got? I can. It is right here. Uh, and we got it from, actually, friend of the show, at Rick AFCA. And he asked us, actually, a Libertadores-themed question. Um, this might get a little complicated, so bear with us. But he asked, I wanted, he wanted to ask us a question about the future of Peruvian football. And in how many years can we finally see Peru-based teams fighting for the Libertadores title? Um, I will give my quick answer before letting shifting it over to you guys. And it, in just that, it is very complicated, and it is next to impossible for them to possibly fight for the Copa Libertadores title. Uh, so with that, I will uh, pass over to you guys. I guess Christopher, if you want to tackle this yeah. question first, go ahead. Yeah. No, I. I... I think that Edwin Oviedo, the Peruvian FA president, is doing a lot of good stuff to bring reform that will help Peruvian football from youth system leagues and and making the clubs be more professional. Uh, but uh, honestly, we're barely uh, this is the beginning. You know, we're we're barely getting started. We gotta we gotta hope that you know in the next five ten years this, there will be some some fruits to all of this labor. But honestly, I, I I don't see anything in the in the near future where we will say, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're there's going to be this one Peru side that's really just going to kick trash at, at Libertadores. To be honest, I I don't think that there's going to be any that's going to fight either. Uh, I do think that 
It is frustrating how these proving clubs handle because they could be doing so much better. It's not that I think that they're useless. I think that their transfer are useless because Alianza had since, I think, the Apertura 2017 when they won to prepare for this Libertadores. And they, they, the, the new reinforcements, most of them, except for Thomas Costa, have been trashed. So it's not it, – it's terrible. It's Garcilaso's reinforcements have been terrible as well, I got to say. I mean, I, I, as much as I like Landauri this season, as much as I like Dulanto, Dulanto is really the only one that I can praise because Landauri is not really an upgrade. I mean, he's a good player, that's that. And they lost Carando as well, Danilo Carando, who I think could have made an impact. Now they brought in Diego Mayora, who is a massive downgrade. And I honestly don't think that that is a good transfer. And there's also Lau in 2016. I mean, they were the best proving side in a long time, and they weren't in any continental competition. They were in the Sudamericana, but they played in it after they've lost all the players. So it's it's 